So Malachi 3.13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a a decree of utter destruction. Well, do keep that open, and then inside your service sheets is an outline of where we're going. But I want to begin by um, us thinking together about acronyms. Acronyms are on the rise, especially in the world of texting, at least IMHO, which stands for, this is going to be interactive, in my humble opinion, uh, LMK, let me know, NVM, never mind, JK, just kidding. BRB. Be right back. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. That's her favorite How about that one? If you know what I mean. Very good. And one last one. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? That's right. And that last one is not so much um, text speak as marketing speak. So it's marketing. So what's in it for me? It describes the benefit that the customer will get from this product. So if, co- if customers are going to part with their hard-earned cash, they want to know, how is this product going to help me? How is it going to benefit me? And so sellers have to sort of spell out these benefits, these positive outcomes. So for sellers, it's no good just listing features of a product You have to sell the benefits. There's no point just saying it's blue and it takes AAA batteries. You've got to spell out benefits. And so you don't sort of say, in marketing, you don't say the air fryer has a removable basket. You say it's easier to clean. That's the benefit, not the feature. And you don't say the vacuum cleaner has a washable filter 
But you say, it's going to save you money because you won't need to buy filters all the time. So you're selling benefits, you see, not features. That's the WIIFM factor, the benefit. That's what the customer wants. What's in it for me? So what's in it for me, being a Christian? What benefit do I get? If you're someone who's not a Christian at the moment, you may well be asking that question. Why should I become a Christian? What benefits will I get? What's in it for me? Great question to ask. But if we're Christian, we may at times find ourselves asking this question as well. What is in this for me? Why am I bothering? Especially at times when life is hard, when things are not working out, things are not going well. We may well question whether it's worth it. What's the point of being Christian? Well, if so, we are not alone because that is exactly what God's people were asking back in Malachi's day. And God gave them and he gave us a very clear answer. He spells out very clearly what is in it for us and why it definitely is worth it. And why we need to make sure that we are those who serve him and who stay on the right path. You'll see on the outline there, um, in the service sheets, we begin with the complaint. God's people were questioning whether it was worth going God's way. So 3.13, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? So usual pattern, pushing back, dismissing the accusation that we've seen in the book. Verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve God. Vain here means futile, pointless, it's useless. Now, why were they saying that? Well, because they saw no benefit in serving God. Nothing as far as they could see. Now, what's in it for me, as far as they could see, nothing at all, for two reasons. Firstly, it did not seem to pay to be righteous. So, verse 14, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Keeping his charge means obeying his commands, God's commands, following his instructions. And walking as in mourning probably refers to being sorry for our sins, turning from them, repenting. What's the point? What's in it for me? How do I benefit from doing these things? To the people back then, it felt like it was all cost and no benefit. Because life was not going well for them. They were under foreign rule. Uh, The economy wasn't doing well. Things were hard. What was the point of going to all this effort of worshipping at the temple and going God's way? What's in it for me? So it didn't seem to pay to be righteous. But secondly, it did seem to pay to be wicked. So the only ones who did seem to be doing well were the wicked, verse 15. And now we call the arrogant blessed. And evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So arrogant, proud people seemed to be enjoying a good life. Evildoers were doing well. And they were getting away with it. And not just beyond the borders of Israel, but right there within the people of Judah... They were putting God to the test. That is, they were defying God. They were disobeying God. But God didn't do anything. He didn't punish them. There were no negative consequences for them, it seemed. 
And so in God's, going God's way, it seemed all cost, no benefit. Whereas going your own way seemed like all benefit, no cost. And what they struggled with back then is something we may well struggle with today. What's in it for me going God's way? How, how do I actually benefit? So going God's way may be, it may be very costly. On Wednesday this past week, Open Doors launched their 2024 World Watch List. And this is the annual ranking of the 50 countries in the world where Christians face the worst persecution. North Korea, still at number one. Do check out the Open Doors website. And we've actually got a special guest from Open Doors coming to be with us next week in the service. They're going to do a slot for us. Now, by contrast, as Christians in the UK, we have it very, very easy, relatively, but there is still a cost to following Christ. There's a cost relationally, as we stand for the truth. There's a cost financially, as we give generously to the work of the gospel, as we thought about the other week. There's a cost professionally, perhaps, as we live out our faith at work. There's a cost personally, as we turn from sin and we pursue godliness, and as we give time and energy to serving others, there is a cost. And the question is, is it worth it? And you may have friends who have no interest at all in God, no interest in going his way, but who seem to have a pretty good life. Thank you very much. So my wife Lena's first time in the UK was actually when she came over as an au pair aged, I think, 17 or something. And she worked for a family living in this humongous mansion out in Oxfordshire somewhere on this estate, huge estate, a bit like Downton Abbey, a whole raft of servants and so on. She was just one of them. The husband would fly off to work in his helicopter every morning and so on. And they had no interest whatsoever in God, in serving God, but they were doing pretty well for themselves. What is the point of being faithful and serving God? What's in it for us? Well, that is what you find out as we turn from the complaint to uh, the book. It's our second point. So, most of God's people had given up. They were speaking against God. They were saying, look, there's no point going God's way. Most of them, but not all of them. So, verse 16 describes a different group, a remnant of the faithful. So, verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and who esteemed his name. So in contrast to the majority, these true believers, they didn't speak against the Lord, they feared him. It says they esteemed his name, they honored him, and they served him. So although the nation as a whole had turned against God, Although the nation as a whole were robbing God, as we saw last week, these few people hadn't done that. And God took note. God noticed. He paid attention. He heard them talking together. Who they were was noted down very carefully before him in a book of remembrance, a heavenly record of the faithful. This is telling us that the, the Lord does not miss anything. The Lord sees who's faithful and who isn't faithful. The Lord sees who's going his way and who isn't. 
It's noted, it's recorded before him in his book. When we get to the New Testament, it speaks of a book of life. A book of life in which are recorded the names of the faithful, God's true people. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. So those who are faithful to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Do you think your name is in it? Do you know if your name is in that book? In Malachi's day, there was a large group of people who identified as the people of God. If you'd asked them, they'd said, yeah, we're the people of God. But God's true people, the faithful, were a smaller subset of this. And it's the same in the New Testament, that the visible church is made up of true believers and false believers, and we need to make sure we belong to the faithful group, the faithful remnant. Why does it matter? What difference does it make? What's in it for us? Well, verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God says it will make a difference in the future. So God speaks about this coming day, a day on which these faithful believers, he says, will be his, belonging to him, Precious to him, dear to him, part of his treasured possession. When we get to Revelation 21, verse 3, it speaks of this future day when there's a new heavens and a new earth. And it says that God will dwell with them and he, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, when that day comes, it really will matter which group we are in. So, verse 18 Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who doesn't. So God is saying, look, on that future day, the difference between the righteous and the wicked will be very clear for everyone to see. What's in it for me? What's the point of serving God? The answer God gives is maybe not the one that we want. But God basically says... Wait and see. Wait and see. He says, the day is coming when it's going to be very, very obvious why it's worth it. And the implication of that is that it won't be necessarily that obvious now. So in the present, it may look like in the present, there's no point or little point in going God's way. It may look like the wicked have a better life. But this is saying keep going because in the future, in the world to come, it's going to be very different. Now, that is a hard sell, isn't it? That is a hard sell because we want immediate benefits. We want instant results. So if you began the year by starting some new exercise regime or, you know, weight loss program or whatever, you know, for 2024, you want to see results and you want to see them fast. Yeah. If you don't see results pretty quickly, how long are you going to keep going with this exercise program or weight loss or whatever it is? It's difficult. But God calls us to go his way now, serving him, with the assurance that we will see the benefit in the world to come. Now, that isn't to say there are no benefits now. There are benefits now, but they are spiritual. So in Christ, Ephesians 1 says, we have every spiritual blessing. We're forgiven. 
We're justified. We're adopted into God's family. We're reconciled to God. We're indwelt by the Spirit. These are precious things, but they are not things you can see. You can't see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Not now, but we will be able to in the future, in eternity. Being a faithful follower of Christ now, it doesn't make life easier now. It may make it a lot harder. It doesn't make you richer. It doesn't make you healthier. It doesn't make you more successful. So many faithful Christians are very poor. So in some countries, they are right at the bottom of the food chain. And many Christians are persecuted They're lying in a cell somewhere or they're thrown out their family, they're thrown out their community. And being Christian for us, it doesn't stop us losing our jobs or getting sick or getting cancer or dying and even dying young. And we think, well, what's the point? What's in it for me? And God says, wait. He says, wait, you will see, on the day I come, there will be a world of difference, an ocean of difference between those who serve me and those who don't. You've just got to wait. I was explaining this perspective to um, a friend at the rowing club. And this guy said to me, he said, look, he said, I used to work in sales. And what you've got there is a very hard sell. (laughs) And it is, isn't it? Because people are... They're not interested in the world to come. They're interested in now, in today. And so what happens is that some churches, they change the message to something that will appeal to the modern consumer. Something now focused. Something that will give instant results. Something that sort of scratches where people are itching. And so they say, come to Christ, and all your problems will disappear. And Jesus is going to help you fulfill your dreams and unlock your potential. Turn to God. You will enjoy health and wealth and prosperity and God will give you your best life now. That sounds amazing, but it's all fake promises. We came across a website the other day um, for Zara Home with 90% discounts. You come across this, there's a smeg toaster going for £14, one four instead of one forty. It's amazing. Check it out. Zara Home, 90% discounts. But it's a scam. It's a, it's a fake website. And it looks, it looks so convincing, but it's all fake. And so with this modern consumer gospel. Amazing offers, much of it is online, but it's all fake. It's just dishonest. It cannot deliver what it's promising. And if we fall for it, we are being deceived, and in the end, we'll end up disillusioned. So then, if God is promising us future benefits, we could do with some detail. What kind of difference are we talking about? Well, let's take a closer look at the coming day, and that is our, last, uh, our third point, the day. No reason at all for the chapter division here. Follow straight on. Um, distinction between the two groups on the coming day will be very, very stark. The fate of the wicked is described first. For one, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, 
when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That is a terrifying picture of judgment. God's wrath, his righteous anger, is pictured as burning like a furnace. Evildoers being burned up like stubble. You know what stubble is? Not the sort of stuff here. But um, stubble is stalks of wheat that are left sticking up after the harvest. That's the stubble. And farmers would set fire to it and they'd burn it up. The phrase there, it will leave them neither root nor branch, speaks of total destruction. So nothing left above or below the ground. And that, it says, will be the fate of those who haven't served God, those who've gone their own way in life. Now, if we just had that description to go on, we might conclude that unbelievers are going to be annihilated on that day. That is to say that for them, the final judgment will be the end of existence. But other Bible passages make clear that for the unbeliever, existence will go on forever, alienated from God. And the description here is just conveying how total their loss will be. Their loss of everything good. In the same way, maybe, if, if someone was jailed for life, we might say, and they might say, that their life has been destroyed. They've lost everything. See, it doesn't mean that they no longer exist. The contrast with the fate of God's faithful people could not be greater. Look at the three ways it's described. Firstly, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So for the faithful, on that day, God's righteousness, that's his salvation, will be like the sun coming up after a long, cold night. So this present age is the long, cold night. But there'll be a wonderful new day that will dawn for the faithful. The sun will rise, bringing warmth and life and healing and hope. And every sunrise is a reminder of this. That's the first picture. Second picture, verse 2. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Leaping like calves from the stall. What a wonderful image that is of joy and freedom. So calves, uh, that is young cows, are kept penned up inside all through the winter. They're cooped up in these sheds. They're in these, these little compartments, these stalls, for months on end. It's not a lot of fun. But when spring arrives, the day comes when the calves are let out. And this is their first experience of the outside world of green grass and sunshine and freedom to run around. And they go absolutely nuts, leaping for joy. Now, I can see some of you don't believe this. And so we're going to have a look at a video clip for a couple of minutes from the Funky Farmers YouTube channel who has about 160,000 subscribers, and you'll all want to join up after this. So this is calves leaping around in the spring when they're let out. Well, it's a beautiful spring day in April, so um, we're going to start letting our animals out now. First, let's go out of the young stock. So these have been in all winter, and they're not used to actually going on grass, some of these, so it'll be a bit of a shock for them. 
Let's see how they all react. Well, that was off like a rocket. Look at this, brilliant, isn't it? The excitement here. Oh, girls and boys. Right, they're, they're not hanging around, look at that. My little racehorses. Now we're letting these out today and I think we're going to let the cows out tomorrow. And if you look up there, you can just see the cows looking over the, uh, over the fence. They're obviously upset not to be let out. So we're going to let the cows out tomorrow. These little ones, we just let them out just now, a day early. great in it the excitement on these animals just to be let out penned up all, all winter well there we go you can watch the rest of it at home but the, the funky farmers youtube channel that is what it'll be like for god's faithful people on this coming day of the lord that we will emerge from the winter of this age into the spring and summer of god's eternal kingdom and we'll be leaping for joy like calves released from the stall free at last. And third verse 3 says, you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So many of God's faithful people are oppressed in the world today, downtrodden by wicked people, but on that coming day, it's the wicked who will be trampled underfoot and God's faithful people will be victorious. Well, some take-homes from this. Firstly, we need to keep the future focus. Why is it worth going God's way? What's in it for me? Well, because of this, because of what will happen on the coming day, which means we mustn't lose sight of this. The future, eternity. So being Christian only makes sense in the light of eternity. That's what makes it worth it. And so if we just focus on the here and now, we will probably give up. We'll think, well, you know, what's the point? I'd be better off going my own way like everyone else. In fact, Paul says exactly that, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he says, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if going God's way makes an eternal difference, it is worth it because life is short. And on the last day, I want to be like a calf leaping in the field, not like stubble burning in the furnace. Secondly, we need to make sure we're in the right group. On the last day, there are just two groups. They're the righteous and the wicked. There's no in-between. There's no third group. And the righteous are not just those who have gone to the temple or church or those who call themselves believers. The righteous are those who truly fear and truly serve the Lord. So in New Testament terms, those who have faith in Christ and who are living it out. And thirdly, We need to be honest with other people. We mustn't give people false promises about how Christ is going to fix everything in their life now. We need to be honest with people that following Christ may actually make life harder now, but that it's worth it because of what we will be saved from 
and what we will be saved for in the world to come. And so in the meantime, we need to keep doing what verses 4 and 5 say, and that's our, our final point, the call. Or four to six, rather. So these are God's final instructions to his people in Malachi's day. Two distinguishing marks of the righteous. Firstly, that we are committed to obeying God. Verse four, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Obedience matters. We're saved by faith, not through works, but a living faith is committed to obedience. Obedience matters. Now, we need to be a bit careful here. So as Christians, we cannot just take the law of Moses it talks about in that verse. I can't just take the law of Moses and say, that's my handbook for the Christian life today. The heart of the Mosaic law still stands. Love God, love one another. But we need to see everything with New Testament specs on, that we, we don't still observe circumcision and Jewish festivals and tithing and animal sacrifices, and you know, there's a whole raft of things. We need to see how are these things fulfilled in Christ. But with that caveat, obedience still matters. So Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So the fact that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, it does not mean we can just live as we see fit. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus yeah, in obedience turning from sin, pursuing godliness. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are to trust God's promises. So verse 5, God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now the prophet Elijah, he was long dead by this point. But God promised that before the day of judgment comes, he promised he would send another Elijah. And this Elijah, Mark 2, he would um, call the people to turn, to repent, and that's who John the Baptist was. So Jesus said about John the Baptist, he said, he is Elijah who was to come. So God called the people in Malachi's day to believe his promises, his promises to send his messenger, his promise to then come himself, his promise to one day return. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to believe these promises and live in the light of them. Now, some of these promises here in Malachi have already been fulfilled. So the messenger has come, John the Baptist. The Lord himself has come in the person of Jesus. But the return of the Lord and the day of the Lord are still future. Do we believe these promises? We must do. We must, because once we lose sight of this hope, we're going to end up saying, what's the point? What is the point of serving God? And we will give up. It is what's promised in the future that makes it worth it in the present. At the New York Marathon, there are more than 50,000 people who take part each year. But some of them end up on what's called the sweep bus. The sweep bus. What the sweep bus does is it goes along the route and it collects, it sweeps up the runners who don't finish. No medal for them. Instead, they end up with DNF stamped on their record. 
did not finish. In the Christian race, some end up on the sweet bus. They don't keep going. They don't finish. And that is a big deal in the light of what we've seen. Those on the sweet bus, they don't end up leaping like calves released from the stall, but they end up burning like stubble. So there's a lot more than a medal at stake here. How do we avoid getting picked up by the sweet bus? Well, as the old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way. Let's pause for a moment to reflect on what we've heard, then we're going to join together in prayer.